everybody. Welcome to another episode of Home in the Know. I am a crisp fall day Selena. <laughs> um, and I am uh, happily uh, uh, not in a partnership. <laughs> Corey? Oh. oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's fine. We had a conversation. <laughs> it takes Fine. It takes so much for me to want to like to be in a put partnership. A yeah, put a label on it. Well, not even put a label on it. Like I'm cool with like situationship. I'm cool with like friends mm-hmm. with benefits. I'm cool with like a lot of labels. But partner means so much to me. Yeah, partnership is yeah. like a certain level of commitment yeah. and availability and um life events. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a real business arrangement, and yeah, <laughs> I do not have the um, the spoons to be like. Yeah, you only got one spoon. Yes, <laughs> one for you, one for Oreo, maybe. Yeah, doggy <laughs> <laughs> <Foggy> spoon. <laughs> um, and today we have Goddess Brick. What's what? up? Every episode, we begin with a segment we call historical hoes and this week's historical ho is Li Shishi. I got my information from an article on Wikipedia. Thank you, Wiki. Li Shishi was born Wang Shishi in the late 11th century. Her mother died soon after her birth and her father fed her bean starch to keep her alive. Her father, Wang Yin, was a worker in a clothing pigment factory in Bianqing. When Li was four, her father was jailed for delaying an imperial textile order. He later died in prison. Li went at first to an orphanage, but was later taken in by a procuress named Li Yun, who owned a brothel. Li Yun changed the girl's surname to Li. Li was taken to the entertainment district Jin Kyung Chung and put to work as a young sex worker. Lee was renowned for her beauty and artistic abilities. Among her admirers were the renowned poet and bureaucrat Zhou Banyang and the outlaw Song Chang. Her fame spread to the emperor Hui Song, who visited her disguised as a businessman in 1109. Her charm and elegance led him to visit her whenever he could after the meeting. Their relationship became an open secret in Bianjing. Some, res- or some sources relate that Li Shishi moved into the emperor's palace and was given the title of Lady Ying State, or Lady of Ying State. Other sources say Puisong had a tunnel dug from the palace to Li Shishi's house. In 1126, Puisong took responsibility for overwhelming losses during the Jin Song Wars and abdicated in favor of his eldest son, Xiao Huang, uh, Emperor King Song. Um, realizing she was in a precarious position. Li Shishi donated all the gifts from Huisong to the army and requested the emperor's permission to become a Taoist nun. In 1127, Bianjing was overrun by the Jin army. Huisong and his court were captured and Huizong later died, ending the Northern Song dynasty. Li is reported to have fled south, although other accounts give that she committed um, suicide by swallowing a gold hairpin after she was offered to Jin to a Jin commander. Um, so yeah, very sad. So uh, some of Li Shishi's story can be found in the classical novel Water Margin. Um, and that is the absolutely incredible, harrowing historic life of Li Shishi, this week's historical ho. been following your work for a while i think it's magnanimous is magnificent magnificent uh, <laughs> amazing, um powerful uh and i'm so glad that you came on to talk to us about it you're so sweet <laughs> yeah no like brick house is like it, yeah you're a brick house like Yes. Um, can I ask you, you know, how did you come to that, like, name, that moniker? 
Yeah. yeah. Uh, so what most people don't know is that Brick House is actually my spiritual name and it just happens to fit how I, you know, physically appear as well. But it's really based upon my uh, spiritual presence and um, the ability to just not be easily torn down or shaken. Mm. And um, I'm pretty solid, spiritually that. speaking. That's beautiful. And, um, yeah, that transfers throughout my life. And, you know, like I said, I'm so spiritually solid that the ancestors are like, well, fuck, let's just, you know, make the outside match the inside and bam, <laughs> there goes my body. just banging, you know, just stacked. Uh, so <laughs> that is actually how I landed upon the name. Mm. Wow. Yes. Wow. That's such a fuck. Yeah. That's <laughs> such a fuck. Yeah. Moment. I love that. <laughs> Oh, um, have you always had this confidence in yourself and, and you how the space that you take up in the world? Absolutely not. No, no, mm-hmm. no. I am a, um, darker brown skinned, curvilicious black woman, like black femme. Like nobody wanted me to love myself. Like, come on, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, get out of here. Uh, yeah. So no, it was not, it was not always this way. I also have a lot of skin discoloration and, um, just a lot of things that people really tried to make me feel bad about, um, as I grew up. Um, and so no confidence was not necessarily always the thing. I think I've always had this spark and this uh, zest for my own life as far as just really loving who I am. But being confident in who I am, I think it's a different energy. And I think that that took a lot of time and um, quite honestly, a very violent path to get to confidence in myself. I had to really fight myself and um, fight my way out, basically. Fight my way out of conditioning, fight my way out of brainwashing, fight my way out of um, you know toxic you know, black church cult trauma and, um, you know, a lot of, uh, post-traumatic slave disorder situations coming from older family members who wanted to make me feel a certain way about the way that I looked, my, my African genetics coming through, you know, um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, there's a lot of older folks in my family who were not comfortable with how, how ancestral I look, you know? And, um, yeah, so no, I've not always been this confident, but now I don't even, you just might as well just open the dictionary and see my picture next to confidence. I love that. I, um, I feel that on the trauma of the church and I, I like how you described it as like cult, like, like it is a cult. Like, and I, and I always like, I've, I've recently been having these conversations with my elders in my family about like, isn't it strange that we still practice or that they still practice a religion that like was forced upon us by mm-hmm. slave owners like yep. as a means of indoctrination and, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I know it's com- more complex than that. Like, I know yeah, that like, that like, you know, we use, you know, Negro spirituals to like, bring us through in a lot of ways but i don't think that has so much to do with christianity and more to do with our own spirituality that exists already Mm -hmm. inside of us Mm -hmm. but yeah Mm -hmm. i mean there's there's also like yeah the africanization of christianity or like the cloaking of um of of you know black gods and goddesses um, under the veil of white saints and all of that. And that's cool. But yes. also like, man, this shit is a cult though. <laughs> like, I just want to <laughs> shake it all off. <laughs> I'm yeah, like, I think part somewhere else. Yeah. I think that there is, um, I can't act like I, there weren't good things that I received from the cult. Cause there were a couple of good things that I take with me and I carry with me. Um, but I do, I, that doesn't change the fact that it's a cult, right? Like I can, yeah. I can have some good experiences while being a part of a cult and still know it's cult. Mm-hmm. And I think that oftentimes when we have these documentaries highlighting all of these, you know, wild cults, no one ever, ever, ever 
never brings up the Christian church or the Catholic church, which is also, mm-hmm. a cult, right. Mm-hmm. They never feature those, those cults, but it's like mm-hmm. all these other indigenous, really, yeah, you know, like, indigenous drinking blood. those are considered culture. Those are considered dark or black or some of these, you know, really just fucked up, you know, cults out there. Like they don't consider, they, don't, they never consider Christianity and Catholicism. And those are the two largest cults that have done the most damage. You know, they think these cults where, you know, a couple hundred people have died because they drank some poison from this cult leader. But it's like, y'all have taken out nations. Y'all have taken out, ty- like, types of people no longer exist. Types of animals no longer exist because of You've these just had Christian ritual massacres. Like, it's, yes, there exactly. have been so many Actual ritual massacres. have happened behind the Christian and Catholic cult. So... I just, it really, really disturbs me that people are not covering, not covering those belief systems as such. They are cults. Right. And I don't think that every cult is bad. I also want to say that. I think that there are are great cults out there who do great work, but I think there are also lots of cults out there who don't do great work. And I think that the Christian church and the Catholic church, which are one of the same, really, Mm -hmm. um, are one of, they're some of the bad cults. And I, and I also want to say that there can be good people that are a part of bad cults, right? So yeah. I do think that I have Christian friends and Catholic friends who are awesome people. However, that doesn't change my opinion on the cult that they're a part of. Right. And mm-hmm. I think that life in general is just a lot more complex than black and white, right? I think that you can hold both. So I just wish more people were willing to be honest about those things, especially black and brown folks, because Catholicism and Christianity have a hold on black and brown folks. And it's scary. It's really scary. And it's really sad. And like you said, of course, there were our ancestors who practiced our divine magic underneath the cloak of those things. Right. And so I'm not going to take away from that. And I, you know, as I commune with my ancestors, I make sure to meet my ancestors who that is the language that they spoke. But I also am interested in communing with and spend time and spending time with my ancestors who they didn't need to have that cloak because their their connection with the divine within themselves was direct. And I just refuse to believe that the only way to honor who we were and who we are is through the eyes of those of our people who were enslaved because we were we had so many other ancestors and people who were not and that was not their their religion. Right. Yeah. Um, so I've seen some of your work and I think there's a, um, a, a, a spiritual sort of, I don't know the word. Undercurrent. Undercurrent. Absolutely. Um, in all of your work. <laughs> Very um, much so. And I, I assume that's intentional. Um, mm-hmm. um, wh- did you ever feel some sort of like, um, because you are doing and, and, and sex and sexuality is spiritual, but did you ever have to sort of, um, negotiate those two things of like, this is a spiritual act and this is a sexual act. Um, and and they've always lived together for me. So I don't think I had to do any negotiating with myself. I think sometimes, um, you know, sometimes other folks have a hard time reconciling the two. And I think at one point in my life, I probably did, but I think, I think I've spent my whole life reconciling the two, because even when I was in, when I, even when I was in the black Christian church cult, those were the conversations I was having. I was constantly asking the questions of, well, why can't we, well, why is that considered sin? Well, why if, we have these desires. It has to be something bad, you know, and like, why can't, you know, two people of the same gender love one another? Like I, I was always questioning these things. They never sat right with me. I just really believe that if God created us and we were created in God's image, then everything that we are is of God. So why would that be bad, including our sexuality? And so, um, I was often chastised. I was often set aside. I was often sat down. Um, in black in the black Christian church cult because I was constantly coming up against these ideas and saying it does that doesn't feel like God to me. That isn't how God lives within me or the people that I love and I care about. Um so yeah for me I they've never been separated but I feel like in my life they were separated constantly and I was constantly trying to pull them together because I didn't understand that. I'm like nah that's not it. Cause I feel God when I'm doing this and I feel God when I'm doing that. 
and in addition to that, now what I have is guilt that was given to me and shame that was given to me. That's, that's not genuinely or naturally how I feel. That's just from my brainwashing from y'all. Right. Um, so yeah, I think that those of us who come from a very strict religious background, the healing work that we have to do to remember to bring both sides of ourselves together can be really layered and complicated, but that's why I love doing the work that I do. Um, outside of doing, you know, burlesque, a, a large portion of my sex work is, um, con- consulting. And I'm a lot of people that are drawn to me are folks who are trying to reconcile their spirituality with their sexuality and bring both sides of themselves together again after the church has bastardized them. So, so yeah. how do you, how do you cultivate that healing process and reconciling of those parts? I think you cultivate, I think that the way that everyone cultivates it is different because it really depends on where the separation was for you. Right. So for me, the separation showed up in my life as me being a very, very late bloomer as far as my queerness was concerned, because I didn't know and didn't understand that I could hold all of those things at once. Cause I was like, well, I'm definitely attracted to men, so I couldn't possibly be gay. Right. Like, <laughs> that's not how that works. Um, I just am really, really, I just really, really love women. I think they're great. And I think they're so pretty and they're so awesome. Like, <laughs> I'm just really passionate about my female friends, you know? <laughs> well, yes. Yes. I'm just a very sexy feeling friend. Uh, you know, um, you know, just all those things that you tell yourself besides the fact that, nah, you just hella gay, like, and, and <laughs> you know, gay in the best way, gay isn't happy and happy to love everyone and everything. Right. Um, but yeah, I feel like, so for me, I had to start with being okay with who I am and who I'm attracted to. That is where my healing journey started. However, for someone else who that was never their issue, they're going to have to start somewhere else. They're going to have to start with, you know, if you have someone who was shamed by the church or shamed by their family around masturbation, then their, their healing work is going to start somewhere different. So it depends on where the hurt happened and what part of life that it happened in. And then, and also depending on the person's personality, right? Because like, if you are an outgoing extrovert, the way that I'm going to approach how we start to heal some of these things and reconcile these things is going to be completely different than if you are a very much stay to yourself introvert, you're not going to go to a play party, you know, that's full of thousands of people to go heal yourself. Whereas someone else with a different personality type absolutely would. Um, so for someone who's more introverted, right, I'm going to, I'm going to talk to you about one-on-one things with a, with a sex worker and like, you know, smaller group sessions, things like that. Whereas someone who is at a place where they feel comfortable being around other people, then we'll talk about what it's like to go to a play party with a sex worker and explore some things or with a partner or whatever. So it really just depends. There is no one formula. There is no one way everyone's sexual healing is as individual as their fingerprint. Yeah. What does your like demographic look like as far as your um, consultation sessions? My go? demographic changes. So currently, it is a lot of um, humans assigned female at birth, um, and it is a lot of um, a lot of like power films. So a lot of like, you know, high powered, you know, high ranking, lots of busyness, lots of work, lots of businesses, lots of empires. Um, that's currently who my, who my, um, the majority of my clientele is, but I kind of am feeling this shift and getting a lot more inquiries from humans assigned male at birth and queer folks and gender non-conforming folks. Um, and yeah, so it just really shifts. It just really depends on the seasons. Mm -hmm. But I Um, think that, you know, I think that people who, who have experienced similar trauma and have lived in bodies that look like mine are always, you know, going to find me first because they, you know, I feel familiar and they feel mm -hmm. familiar to me. We feel familiar to one another. We're family. So family's Mm -hmm. always going to find one another. Yeah. And I think that other folks are starting to realize that, you know, even if I may not look like you, I can still be kin, right? We still have things in common. We, have, we still have knowledge that we can share with one another. And there's things that we can explore. Mm. Um, so how did you first get into sex work? 
how did I first get into sex work? Oh man, I was 17. <laughs> and, um, well, I mean, I feel like I was into sex work way before then too, but my most like, you know, vivid memory is I think starting at 17, just having sugar daddies and, um, you know, just realizing that, you know, I was, I was working, um, but me working wasn't taking care of me. Right. I needed, I still needed more to take care of not only me, but my family. And I just needed more than what I had and I needed to figure out something. So, um, yeah, I started, I started being a sugar baby at 17 and, um, what was the sugar daddy like or Oh my gosh. Okay. So, uh, there's a couple, um, one of them was black and one of them was white and, uh, the white guy, he was a foot fetish enthusiast. And so he was really fun um, because I loved going with him to get like my nails and my toes done and stuff. And he would just like sit in the chair and like watch and just be so thrilled. Um, <laughs> uh, he was also a panty person. He was really into panties. So this is back when I could actually fit into anything. Victoria's Secret would go to Victoria's Secret and go panty shopping and um, it's so funny now too, because like one of the reasons that he and I broke up was because I was like, I drew a line because he was like, he was like buying me panties and taking me shopping and all that stuff and doing all the, the fun foot stuff. But then one time he had like asked me for like a picture in a very specific pose in panties. And I was like, oh, how dare you? <laughs> like, <laughs> I can't do that. What do you what do you think I am? You know, like, which is hilarious because my whole vagina is on the internet now, but, um, <laughs> you know, back then I was like, oh, what? Yeah. I mean, you're just <laughs> discovering your boundaries at that point. Right. <laughs> right. 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 Um, so yeah, so, so that was interesting and that was fun. And then the, the black guy, you know, he was just honestly a perv. Like, I'm not even going to lie y'all. Like I was 17. He knew I was 17. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was an older black man and he was just a perv. He was, there was really no other way to explain him. He was just a pervert. And, and they were um, a couple? No, no, no. They weren't a couple. Uh-uh. Oh. These are two separate individuals. How how old were they approximately? Oh, gosh. The black guy, he had to be in his 40s. Yeah, he had to be in his 40s. And the white guy, you know, was, like I said, both of them just pervs. Um, but the white guy was like later on, I think I was like, I think I was like 19 with the white guy. I was like 17. So with you were the, legal. At that yeah. Point. But they're both, they were both pervs. Like, you know, yeah, and, I, sure. and I also want to say that I don't think that being a sugar daddy makes you a perv. I think that these particular right. individuals were pervs. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, I, I definitely, I see that especially, I mean, okay, look, I definitely want to support the, the 18, 17 year olds out here who mm-hmm. are, making money off of a sugar daddy but like oh can you speak other a little side bit of that can huh? you speak up a little bit oh so, sorry i want to say that i like definitely support like the 17 18 year olds who are like you know out here with their sugar daddies and all of that mm-hmm. but like on the other side on the flip like i definitely feel like these old ass men should not be going for 17 year old children. (laughs) Like even 18 year old children is like very young. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm listen, sugar babies out there, live your best life, baby. Just take care of yourself. Um, yeah, I I definitely don't think it's on the sugar babies. Right. And I don't think there's anything wrong. I actually really like sugar baby and sugar daddy, sugar parent dynamics. Cause I've also had sugar mamas, which we can get into cause that's a Mm -hmm. whole nother game. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, but I, I actually really enjoy the sugar baby, sugar parent dynamic because I think that they can be, if they're set up right, they can actually be very, very, very reciprocal relationships mm-hmm. and healthy and healing relationships for both parties involved when they're done by two people consciously entering to them the right way. Yeah. Um, cause I even, you know, still have some sugar relationships as, you know, as a 36 year old adult now. So I think that, yeah, I think that they're, they, they can be positive and oh, 100%. 100%. I mean, I I mean, I have I have sugar relationships too happening, but I mm. just yeah, I don't know. I I definitely can be a little protective over the younger 
Yes, I am too. I very much am too, because I feel like, you know, like sugaring now is completely different than what I, how I was sugaring back then. And so I know shit now. So I'm always like trying to talk to my little young sugar babies about like shit that I thought was cool back then, but definitely not now. And I'm like, girl, you will, I always tell people if I knew then what I know now, I would have charged more for the shit I was doing. So yeah, I, yeah, like, yeah, exactly. To my young, my young sugar babies, like, baby, it's time. Yeah. Yes. Capitalize. Yeah, um, turn, you know, tax. raise your prices. <laughs> <laughs> Cost I mean, inflation. You know, <laughs> it's, it's definitely, it's hard to know like what the market is like. I mean, th- whenever I first started sugaring, I didn't know. Mm-hmm. I didn't know like many other sugar babies or like, and the ones that I did know, they were in like more long-term relationships with their daddies and mm-hmm. like it was more complicated. Mm-hmm. Um it wasn't, I mean, I always say that like my, in my opinion, sugaring is just like escorting by another name, you know? Mm-hmm. It <laughs> so. can be. Yeah, it, it definitely can be. It really just depends on who's involved, what your, what your relationship is and what your agreements are. Right. Yeah. And how I would you define that, the difference? Um, I see it's hard for me because everybody's relationship to sex work and the the terms of sex work are different. So I hate putting out broad definitions of things because that could be my definition for me personally, but that not be the definition for other folks. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I really hate that. I really hate like kind of like the policing of things where it's like, cause if to me, it kind of falls into like this, like horror bullshit. And at the end of the day, we all hoes like, yeah. yeah. You, know, you know, like, I just, yeah. Y'all hoes, man. Like, get it how you live. Yeah. Like, just be safe, be responsible. But I just, you know, I don't want to, I feel like, you know, my time in the bowl, as we call it, the sugar bowl, my time in the bowl has been really interesting because folks, yeah, I feel like sometimes folks can be really like, well, I'm a sugar baby. I'm not, you know, such and such. I'm not a prostitute. Right. You know, I was like, Yeah. Like whatever, I, I guess, you know, or like even like, you know, cause I'm a burlesque performer, you know, there's sometimes this bullshit with burlesque performers are like, well, I'm a burlesque performer. I'm not a stripper. Burlesque performers like, are strippers. We are They're strippers. They our clothes off. We might just have a couple I mean, more dramatic flares, you know, but that's not. Yeah. We're still getting naked. That's yeah. last time I checked, somebody put money in my G string. So I, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know. Tomato, tomato to me, but, um, <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah, it's interesting. So I don't I don't really get down with the whole respectability politics among amongst the hoes. Like we all hoes. Like I love my bitches that's on the corner, just like I love my bitches that's on, you know, OnlyFans. Like we all we all good. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we all hoeing. So. Yeah. I mean I don't I don't mean to make it like a like a didactic thing where it's mm-hmm. like, well, fall under these parameters, then you're not mm-hmm. a sugar baby or you're escorting. I just mean like I, it's a personal like conundrum mm. for me. I'm like, where does escorting begin? Where does sugar dating end? You know, mm. like what, what is the I mean, line? I, I guess my question would be is why does one have to end for the other to begin? I don't know if it has to. I just, I mean, I, I guess because in my mind, I'm like, I think they're the same. Like it's hard mm. for me to separate the two aside yeah. from that. Like maybe sugaring involves like a longer term relationship. But I also mm. want to say that a lot of escorting relationships can go for years as well. Exactly. So I right. Yeah. So exactly. Like, I, just don't know, yeah. I just don't see the difference, I guess. Right. I feel like sometimes there's the implication with a sugar baby and glucose guardian situation mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, that like, there's some sort of, um, uh, yes uh no like um guider like guidance mentor mentorship thing that's going on with like (laughs) the glucose guardian and then like you know but like like that's a power dynamic not even a power dynamic because like i always think that the power is in the hands of the sex worker like no matter what and i think that it's all about the fantasy like the so with an escort like the the fantasy is more about like uh, a person you can bring out where a sugar baby might be 17 might be 18 mm-hmm. 19 years old mm-hmm. and you don't necessarily want to bring them around your you know your colleague your colleague <laughs> right you know? uh, i mean i don't know I've... Mm-hmm. but me but it, they it, want to flaunt like that but also like sometimes not i it depends yeah. on the person you know like I guess. Yeah. he's really like 
I don't know, the guys who are pervy, kind of scummy guys, um, like they do want to show off like the the 18-year-old, you know? Mm. Mm -hmm. They want to call the 17-year-old an 18-year-old, but still like have people think that, you know, she's 17. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Like you said, I I don't think, I don't, I think these lines are very arbitrary and like, and... Yeah, I do think they're really arbitrary because like I feel like definitely my sugar relationships definitely require a huge level of emotional intelligence and emotional care um, that I feel like some of my other sex work exchanges don't require. But I feel like my sex work, my other sex work exchanges still require both of those things, but just in different ways. Right. So it's like when I am stripping the emotional the emotional labor that I'm doing while stripping is still huge, but it's just kind of in shorter spurts, depending on if I'm doing private parties, if I'm doing a private show for a, like a regular versus like when I strip in the club. Um, so it's a shorter spurt of emotional labor, but probably spread across a lot more people. Whereas in when I'm engaging in my sugar dynamics, it's a higher concentration of emotional labor towards just one person. Yeah, but I don't think that I don't think that it's not used across the board in sex work. Like I think that um, sex workers we make great therapists, and I the therapists that I know that are also sex workers are the best therapists I know because we're great. (laughs) Like emotional intelligence is a must. Emotional capacity is a must as a sex worker. Mm -hmm. Um, And so yeah, I I feel like it all requires you know emotional labor shit. It's just about whether or not you have the capacity to do it amongst a whole bunch of folks or just one or two individuals. Mm-hmm. But I think it's, so, all it's all worthy. Um, it's, all, it's all work and it's all worthy of protection, worthy of being paid, worthy of being catered to and centered. Cause I think that we are healing our cities. We're healing our communities. Um, I think that sex work is the most sacred of work and the sacred, the most sacred of callings. And mm-hmm. so I think that, um, I think that people should honor us as the deities and priestesses that we are because we're doing the real work. Definitely. Yeah. (laughs) My therapist was like recently asking me one of my therapists. Oh, I have two. (laughs) (laughs) I can't wait till I can afford two therapists. I'm about to be stuck on (laughs) y'all. She was like asking me uh, what I find sacred uh, or what about me uh, is sacred. And I like could not for the life of me answer that question. Mm. I mean, it wasn't like, (laughs) I I know, I know, I know. It's not like, it's not bad. It's just like, I'm, I'm, I've been a very like staunch atheist for most of my life and very like, if anything, like anti-spiritual, but I maybe, I might be rounding a corner. Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. know. I don't know what that means exactly for me. Um, but I have, I've been thinking a lot about it and also learning a lot about occultism across religions. And mm-hmm. um, it's interesting to say the least. Mm-hmm. So you couldn't think of an answer. I couldn't think of an answer. I was like, I don't know what's sacred or what sacred even means. Um, but I'll, I'll pose that question to, to you two. What is sacred about yourselves, uh, for you two? Brick, you can go first. My entire existence. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> I'm like, that's uh, boom, there it is. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. Just, uh, yeah. My literal entire existence is sacred. The way that I talk. The way that I move, the way that I touch, the way that I embody my God energy, the way that I move amongst my people, the way that I move amongst community, the way that I move with myself, the way that I move with my ancestors and with my guides, everything about me is sacred. The way that I cry, the way that I come, the way that I cuss, the way that I will fight a motherfucker who got me fucked up. All of that is sacred. (laughs) Yeah, Mm. my gentleness as well as my violence is all sacred Mm. every part of me my anger is extremely sacred yeah 
I've come to the realization recently, um, and actually it's through the, I can't think of the Instagram name right now. I think it's like the sleep project. Mm -hmm. Um, and it talks about like how black people's sleep is sacred. Oh, the nap ministry, the nap ministry. Yes. Yes. And Mm -hmm. that is something I am discovering right now that is that I need to rest. My body needs to rest and a lot. And it's okay if I spend a whole day in bed. Like mm-hmm. that's a beautiful thing. So Oof. my my rest, my resting state is sacred. Yeah. Oh man. I actually that that really resonant resonates mm-hmm. with me. <laughs> As a person who does not sleep. No, I on sleep. 20- I sleep a lot. Do you? Yeah, I do. I okay. prioritize sleep. Okay. Because I'm like, because I'm a <laughs> not to be surprised. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I know it may not seem like I sleep. It doesn't seem like you I sleep. work like six jobs and say yes to everything, and that may be true. But <laughs> I do sleep, uh, and I prioritize sleeping, and I sleep early and often. Mm. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Show me. Like Show me up. Yeah. Like teach me. Teach me. <laughs> I have to because I'm just exhausted all the time. Like I mean, I have um I don't know what's wrong with me. I have like some kind of like sleep issues inherited from my mother. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. But Your moms I, love passing down shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they really do. All the good stuff. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, speaking of family, um, are you out to your family in your world? Uh, yes, I am. Um, there, the way that I live my life is so out loud that there would be no way to hide it from my family. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm out in the way of everyone knows. I'm not out in the way of I'm having a conversation with everyone about it. Yeah, mm-hmm. meaning that I respect my own personal boundaries. And I'm not going to argue with people about things that I already know. Right. So mm-hmm. I'm not going to have a conversation with the most eldest members of my family about popping my pussy. Why? Because it's not necessary. Do no, they know really that not. I engage in some type of showmanship? Right. Do they know that mm-hmm. I'm in show business and it's pretty sexy? Absolutely. But do mm-hmm. they know every single, you know, do they know about my dom sessions? Do they know. No, because it's not necessary. I don't need to have those conversations with you because you're not going to understand. Um, but yeah, everybody know. Everybody who wants to know knows. And there's people who probably do a little bit more digging and find some shit that they didn't want to know, and that's on them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, everybody knows. Um, <sighs> every yeah, everybody knows. That's really I, I, but I also want to say that I have the privilege of everybody knowing. Right? I'm. I live in a place where no one in my family has tried to kill me for it yet. Mm. Um, and. I know that that is a possibility, but it's not as high as a possibility as some of my other folks and my sisters in some other countries. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I am. I'm out with my family in that way. Um, yeah. And that is for me an accomplishment because my family, I grew up being raised by um, the older generations of my family and they are very, very strict Southern Baptist Christians. So Mm -hmm. it's been a long journey for me to let them know and be proud of who I am and how I am. Um, And there's just certain things that we we just don't discuss, right? We just don't breach those subjects because it's not going to change anything. Their beliefs around who gets into heaven and who doesn't is not going to change just because I decided to be out. Yeah. And that's okay. That's okay if they believe I'm not going to heaven. I am okay with that. There are some people who can't stomach the thought of their family not agreeing with who they are or how they live their life. That's just not who I am. I'm okay with my family not agreeing with it. I'm not okay with my family disrespecting me. So as long as we can be respectful, I can still share space with them. They love me. I love them. I have partners. I bring them around. Sure, they may not all be fans of polyamory or fans of queerness, but as long as you don't act like you ain't got no fucking sense, be good. (laughs) so (laughs) you know so but that's me though you know everybody's different I don't need them to call me goddess I don't need them to you know I mean there's just things Mm -hmm. that I don't require of my family in order to be in a relationship with me I have chosen family for that I have other community and relationships where I can show and be and live in those parts of myself and I still show up as myself with my family but there's just things that there's just expectations I don't have of them that I think maybe other people do have of theirs Mm -hmm. so yeah did I answer the question yeah. Oh, yeah. 
yeah very thoroughly yes <laughs> yeah yeah but it is a blessing and uh, to be able to not have to hide you know such i i think sex workers can be all consuming a lot of the time you know mm-hmm. like absolutely you know you I mean, just like any other work, really. And like, you know, you have accomplishments in your work and you want mm-hmm. to not have to hide those things from people, you know. Yes, very true. Um, yeah. Um, so you touched a little bit on a couple of things. Um, you're polyamorous yes. and you're a dom. Yeah. And I love those things. <laughs> how, did you, <laughs> how did you come to polyamory? Oh Jesus! Um, I played the polyamory. <laughs> Ooh, it was a rugged road. Um, nah, uh, I came to polyamory. I came to polyamory uh, after my divorce from my first husband, who is an amazing and beautiful man. I love you. Um, yeah, he's like one of my best friends ever. He's like the greatest guy ever. Um, so yeah, so he and I divorced and then, uh, he and I also both divorced our cult status and, um, in the black Mm -hmm. Christian church. And so kind of once all that came tumbling down, then you really start asking yourself the real questions, right? It's like, if I didn't have to relate to other people in this way, based upon this brainwashing, who would I be? And so now that I don't have this, you know, now that I don't have this, um, agreement that I'm in, this covenant that I'm in of marriage, now that I no longer have this agreement and cult that I am in, as far as Christianity is concerned, who am I? How do I want to relate to people? How do I want to be? Who have I been prior to me believing those things? And when I was younger, I always had multiple boyfriends, always. And I I was so confused that other people didn't. I'm like, wait, you have only one boyfriend? Like, why? (laughs) There's so many boyfriends to have. Why do you only have one? Right? I don't understand. Um, and I, it was also funny too, because like sometimes, uh, when I was like younger, I would talk about my boyfriends and somebody else would be upset. They're like, wait, that person's my boyfriend too. And I'm like, oh, well you can, you can still be, you can have him too. Yeah. Like it's all good. We can share. Yeah. Or, or you can just have him. It's okay. Like I still have others, you know, like I never, (laughs) I never understood like what the hangup was. Um, And so then as I got older in relationships, I just thought something was wrong with me. I just thought I was a cheater. You know, I thought I was like just fucked up. And um, because I I had so many feelings for so many people and I didn't understand why other people didn't. And my friendships were always very intimate. And I didn't understand why people were so weird about intimacy within their friendships. And, Mm. you know, like I just didn't understand. I'm just like, I don't understand why me and my friend can't cuddle. It doesn't mean I'm trying to be with them or trying to have sex with them or trying to cheat on anyone. I just want to cuddle with my friend because I care about them and we're close. And um, yeah, so just even the way I was in my platonic relationships was very, was very polyamorous. Um, but I didn't have language for that. I didn't have any kind of exposure to that. So I was just very confused. And then, um, when I went through my divorce, one of my best friends introduced me to burlesque and invited me to do a burlesque show with her. And I was like, absolutely. Cause I was already performing. I've always been a performer. I've always done acting, singing, dancing, theater, you name it. I've done it. Um, and so it was literally just like theater, but also with taking my clothes off. And I had always, always wanted to be a stripper, but the only thing that was keeping me from it was my faith. Right. So I was like, Oh, you know, Aww, I can't yeah. be a stripper. Cause I've God, you know, God, God, God doesn't want me to strip. God does not want me to strip. So I would like go to the strip clubs and like hang out and wait outside and like try to go in for, you know, like, um, amateur night and stuff. But then I'd get too scared. You know and I'd be like? Oh God, I can't do it. Um, uh, Jesus, Jesus doesn't want me clapping my cheeks. Um, mm-hmm. and then, um, <laughs> And so then, yeah, so when my homegirl was like, girl, let's go. I was like, yeah, let's do it. I'm I'm going. I'm going to I'm going to go. I'm going to do what I feel happy about, what I feel good about. And I started doing burlesque and I never looked back. And um, it kind of just continued to open the door for me because as I got into the burlesque community, I met polyamorous people. I met, uh, first of all, I just want y'all to know cabaret folks, circus folks, 
performing arts folks, we are some freaks, okay? This, oh, that's yeah, where, yeah. Okay? That's where we live. That is our house, okay? So, yeah, I just got to meet so many bisexual people, which was huge for me because I was like, oh, I'm bisexual. That's <laughs> what it is, God damn it! I was, like, wondering what the hell's going on here. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I met so many polyamorous folks. I met so many bisexual and queer folks. I met so many people just living their lives a lot more freely than what I had been introduced to prior to joining the burlesque community so that is how i came upon polyamory Hmm. yeah so what did your first polyamorous relationship that was consciously poly i guess or like that you had that word around it yeah did it look yikes 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 um okay so um i will say this is just me speaking broadly uh as so so i'm trying to do this thing as my quote-unquote celebrity is growing i'm trying to be a lot more conscious of the way i speak around relationships i've engaged in because sometimes people are nosy and they try to go back and look at who you're talking about and how and i don't want to bring any kind of negativity towards folks i've shared space with because if i shared space space shared space with them at some point then i there's just a certain respect i want to give them so I won't mm-hmm. say this is necessarily my first polyamorous relationship I'm talking about, but I'll just say it's one of the polyamorous relationships I engaged in towards the beginning. Um, <laughs> uh, there were definitely some, some eye-opening moments. I think that the eye-opening moment was realizing that your version of polyamory is completely different than probably your partner's version of polyamory. And really mm-hmm. feeling feeling out those differences and understanding them and communicating them was not something I had practice in, and nor that nor those other folks. Uh, and so it was a lot of bumping our heads up against the wall, hurting each other's feelings, breaking each other's boundaries, um, just downright fucking up. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like just fucking up all over the goddamn place, all over each other, all over other community members. Cause nobody knows what the fuck they're doing. You know, everybody's just trying to get free and everybody knows you just don't want to be confined to the way you were before, but there's still a way in which to approach, um, you know, open love and polyamory. And I've learned that over the years and over time, but I, I didn't know that straight out the gate. So yeah, so they were very interesting, to say the least, my first polyamorous engagements. What are some useful lessons that you learned? Some useful lessons that I learned is that the truth beats everything, like everything. Um, and also the truth is not always fun, but it beats everything. It's so much better. I would rather have the truth than anything else. Um and uh, I've really, you know, that saying that the truth shall set you free, but it really does, especially in polyamorous relationships, because when folks are giving you the honest and true place of where they're at and who they are, then it allows you to make really informed decisions about how you want to continue to engage with them or if you want to continue to engage with them. Um, so, yeah, give me give me the raw dog truth rather than like some pretty picture lie any day. Um I think also something that I learned that was positive from my beginning polyamorous experiences is that, you know, everyone is so different. The way people's brains work are different. The way that people relate to other people is different. Oh, everyone's idea of cheating is different. And I know that sounds like a negative, but it's actually a positive because I'm like, oh, wow, I would have never known that someone would have considered handholding cheating, right? Or... You know, just like emotional exchanges, cheating or, you know, there's so many different ways to betray yourself and to betray others. And um, I learned so much about that in my in my early polyamorous days about number one, learning never and never to betray myself, learning how to stop betraying myself in relationships with others. Cause you know, in the beginning of polyamory, you are just so excited and you just want to be polyamorous that you kind of will put up with any old thing. You're just happy that somebody else is polyamorous and wants to fuck with you. Um, mm-hmm. but you kind of come from a place of lack, right? You come from this place of monogamy. So you don't think there's many out there. You kind of feel like it's a unicorn thing. It's like, Oh, this is, I don't know. I've never been able to do this before. Who knows if I ever be able to do it again. So let me just go with whatever this person says or however this person says that they want it to be. And you betray yourself, you know? And, um, 
So I think I learned a lot about self-betrayal and betrayal of others and how it can look so differently for different people. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Did that answer your question? Uh, Yeah, of course. (laughs) (laughs) Tips and tricks from Brick. Tips and tricks from Brick. That's the next workshop. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, okay. Doming. Do you call yourself a dominatrix? Do you call yourself a dom? Is there, or just a goddess or, you know, what terminology do you like? You know, it's, it's, it varies uh, because some people, yeah, it just varies. It varies. I think on my website, it says professional dominant goddess, I think is what we're going with currently, but who knows? Who knows? That might change tomorrow. I might be like, I want to be something else. I don't know. You know, like I'm so fluid and my relationship with my sex work is so fluid that I I'm open to lots of different interpretations. So Mm -hmm. currently it's professional dominant goddess tomorrow. It could be something else. Yeah. Is there any sort of, um, fetishes that you specialize in or you just generally dominant i mean you know i'm just generally pretty great and worthy and amazing (laughs) um and worthy of worship but um i specialize in lots of things but especially uh goddess worship Mm -hmm. i really specialize in folks with a goddess worship fetish i also really specialize in folks who need a nurturing dominant um Mm -hmm. i am very fierce and firm and like nurturing and gentle all at the same time so I'm really good at people who have interests in like mommy fetishes, um, nurturing fetishes. Um, I'm really good at folks with uh, humiliation needs and fetishes. I'm really good at doing like both. So I can definitely do the, humili- the, hu- the humiliation um, as long as you're open to also the the rebuilding. So yeah, I'm really good at what I like to call like spiritual domination, like meaning like we're going to talk about all the things we're going to deal in all the things. And we're going to make sure that holistically you are taken care of. So if you need a dominant energy in your life to make sure that you're holistically taking care of yourself and making sure that you're like, cause I don't allow my folks to see me if they're not regularly in therapy. I don't allow my subs to see me if they're not regularly doing whatever it is that's important to them, you know? So Mm -hmm. whether that's, a certain eating regimen or a certain practice of a skill or whatever, I'm very much the holistic dom who's like, okay, well, did you accomplish what you're supposed to accomplish for yourself before you come over here looking at me? Because if not, oh. why are you even looking at me? Why are you talking right. about me? Like, what, what are you doing? I feel like I do this too. But yeah. I didn't even realize I do this. Yeah. <laughs> I do that. I definitely, I make my uh, customers at the club, like, mm-hmm. take care of themselves. Like, mm-hmm. um, I mean, one, you know, shout out to you. You're probably listening to this. Like, I've really been on him about taking care of his health and sleeping and eating healthy foods for his body so that he has energy and, mm-hmm. um making sure he goes to the doctor and making sure he takes care of himself because he takes care of so many other people. And I'm just like, yeah, you got to do this. You got to do it. <laughs> I'm like, you can't spend all this money on me. You got to spend some of it on yourself before we can talk before. We right. Can hang yeah. Out. You're no good to me if you're not good to yourself. Cause exactly. it's not sustainable. It's not, mm-hmm. if I run you dry, then you're just useless at that point. But right. If- and also you're no good to me if you're not good to people in the world who look like me. So if you're not, mm-hmm honoring mm. the black films around you in your life at your work at your the, honoring the black films around you is part of your honoring me is part of your work to me is part of your um sacrifice to me is you are good to black films in general so if you're not being good to the black if you're not advocating for the black films in your workplace or in your life you're not actually serving me mm-hmm. so important it's so yeah. important serving me is serving where my energy is around the world so yeah it's just a little deeper it's a little deeper with my, with my dom work. So yeah. So I don't know. I'm still figuring it out as far as like how to put words to the work that I do, because it is so intuitive and it is so sacred and it's so spiritual. Um, and so, yeah, we're still, we're still working on the language around that. I don't, I think that what I do, what I do and who I encompass is beyond words. And so sometimes it can just be a little complicated to bring them down into words. Mm hmm. Yeah. Um, Okay, so 
<laughs> what are what, what have you been doing during the pandemic the pandemic the the thing that we're still in you guys yeah, the thing crying. that we're still forgotten crying that's what i've been doing crying crying crying, <laughs> crying. grieving uh, as crying you should as grieving you should some crying some more grieving some more crying again grieving some uh, more masturbating relatable. crying okay yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know it's crying making love and crying mm-hmm. you know like <laughs> everything with a side of crying breakfast and crying sex and crying you know crying i think it's like easy Healing to forget about that grief well, this like ongoing grief and sadness and just yeah all of it <laughs> mm-hmm. i think a lot of people are still are very disconnected especially like uh younger folks who mm-hmm. didn't have to worry about necessarily like the health sides of things like the the mortality um that a lot of people who were older had to face and they didn't have to or um, people with with um pre-existing uh, or with uh who are you know, compromised you know. yeah um and yeah they didn't have to deal with the isolation the way that immunocompromised people and elderly people did and uh, i think and still do and still do yeah this isn't over (laughs) yeah and uh you know we a lot of older people especially but um also people with immunocompromised situations like have lost people close to them and i think some i mean a lot of people that i know have not felt the loss i think in a personal way Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. i I lost like two or three people. I think it was two people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Like during the pandemic. And I was like, and I think now like so many people are dead. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. not to bring down the mood or anything. No. But like, no, the mood so, is being real. No. So many people are dead. Like their, their life is over. What was it yep. now? Like 700,000 just in the United States or yeah. something like that? Like mm-hmm. all because of, like, and this, and this uh, forever frustrates me about like some people in my life who are like, it's, you know, like it's capitalism fake. and like, you know, all this other shit. And I'm like, no, capitalism did this. Like mm-hmm. capitalism did this. Mm-hmm. like colonialism did this like do you realize that these systems weren't in place like it would we wouldn't not this many people would have died like yeah. there would be people on this earth still yeah. and you know yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah no i lost i lost tons of folks too um and um you know, it was just the pandemic affected so many things. I think, you know, people think about the deaths from specifically the virus instead of like the deaths from all the uh, the surrounding issues that stemmed, you know, from mm. the pandemic. And so, like, I lost two uncles to overdoses on drugs. And, mm. um, you know, that's that's real hard, you know, RIP uncle Lonnie and you know, uh, uncle Dion, two of the I mean, real, that know. they're really great humans. And it's really fun to have them on the other side for sure. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. they are some nuts and I'd be like, no, I am not putting cocaine on my altar for you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they are some nuts y'all. I'm telling you, they some nuts, but, um, you know, uh, yeah, I just, yeah, I, I lost them and I lost, uh, my matriarch, the woman who raised me, my great grandmother, Katie Burks. And I, lo- I just lost so many people, friends and family. And, um, it was very, very, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Foundation shaking. Mm, I yeah. had some foundation shaking losses. My, um, apartment flooded and I lost mm. a very large chunk of my personal belongings. Um, I lost my housing. I, you, I mean, just you name it at some point I lost it. Uh, I, and then like one of my greatest losses was I lost use of my right arm cause I got injured and I'm still healing it. Uh, I had to have surgery. Um, so I lost a lot of my independence on top of all the other losses that I experienced already back to back to back. 
So I was just pretty through with everything and everybody and was just kind of like, okay, so what are we doing here? <laughs> like, uh, yeah, if I'm just going to be here suffering. Y'all can just go ahead and just take me on out. I don't need to be here. You know, like, what, am, what are we doing here? This is not it. This is, if the, if the point of life is suffering, y'all can fucking leave me out of it. <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> like, what, yeah. what's happening here? Go ahead, take me out. Let me come back to something else for somebody else. Maybe I just fucked up this life. You know, maybe there's a new life. The, the next timeline is better. You know, I don't know. Um, yeah, just having a really lot of tough conversations with myself and with my people and, Mm -hmm. um, just really spiritually wrestling with my purpose and the purpose of life and, um, the purpose of just everything. Like what the fuck are we doing and why? (laughs) And, um, it, it was, it was very, 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 um, now, you know, now that I'm looking at it, it was very, very uh, important for my growth because who I am now after having those hard conversations, after wrestling, after crying and stomping and shaking my altars and, you know what I'm saying? Like who I am now from those hard conversations with me and myself and my people is is amazing, you know? And, you know, it's like what I told you about, like, I'd rather give myself that raw, honest truth that I'm talking about. I, I'd rather deal in truths with myself. Um, and I did, and I have, and I'm still continuing to, and I'm better for it. I'm better for having those hard conversations. I'm better for calling my family to the carpet around things that have been plaguing us for generations, you know? Um, you know, after both of my uncles died within the year, uh, you know, I had some real tough conversations with my, with my family around the addiction that lies within my family and who and what and how I will be spending my time and who can spend their time around me if they're not willing to start having those tough conversations with themselves around their addictions. And mm-hmm. um, I ended up cutting off my mom, you know, my biological mother, because she is suffering from addiction and she was just continuing to harm me and harm my family over and over and over again. And I finally made the tough decision to break up with my mom. And that is the hardest decision I've ever made in my life. Um, but mm-hmm. it's also been the most rewarding. I am so much better for it. My mental health is better for it. And my hope and my dream, my prayer is that eventually, you know, she gets it together and we can be cool. But until then, my boundary is that she's no longer allowed in my life and allowed around me. And, you know, I don't think that I could have made that decision if I wasn't in the pandemic and having those hard conversations with myself about why I was suffering and who I was allowing into my life to aid in that suffering. Um, Hmm. So, yeah, (laughs) I know that was a lot. (laughs) So that's very important um well this i mean there's just so much there i could continue talking to you uh (laughs) for as many hours as there are in a day (laughs) and and beyond that there's so many things to cover there's so many there's like there's a million doors that that just opened up but we are we've reached the end of our time um so sadly with Mm. sadness in my heart Mm. um i must ask you where we can find you on the internet yes (laughs) You can find me <laughs> and and all my issues. No, I'm playing. Uh, you can find me on um, the internet, on Beyonce's internet at www.msbriquhouse.com. You can find me on missbrickhouse.com. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at ms. B-R-I-Q-H-O-U-S-E at Miss Brickhouse. And yeah, on OnlyFans under the same until I get this subscription situation down on my MissBrickhouse.com. Um, yeah, you can find me all over the world, y'all. Oh, my favorite place for y'all to find me though is Cash App, dollar sign B-R-I-Q-H-O-U-S-E. Also on Venmo at B-R-I-Q-H-O-U-S-E. Um, awesome. Yeah. Yes. I am available yes. for all kinds of goodness. So if you go on missbrickhouse.com, you can see that those consultations we were talking about, you can sign up for those on there. Uh, if you want some nude pictures of me, you can get those on there. If you want to see me in shows or hire me for, um, you know, speaking at your colleges or at your bar mitzvah or whatever the hell you can hire me to do that. I also host, you know, I'm, I'm just real fun, real good time. Uh, so yeah, you can hire me for all the things on my website. Also send me an email at goddessbrickhouse at gmail.com. I think, I feel like that's where all, those are all the places you can also find me in your dreams. 
I just be mm-hmm. out there in the ether sometimes. You know, people will be like, you popped up in my dream, break. I'm like, I know, right? So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, and you can find me at Sugar Shack, my all people of color monthly burlesque show at Theater Off Jackson, the second Sunday of the month in Seattle, Washington. Awesome. Yes. Yeah. Or at my yes. kink event. Kinkmas is going to be happening on December 25th in downtown Seattle. All people of color kink educational wow. play event. Your triple X miss. Yeah. Triple X miss. Who? Y'all, if there was anything, because I know you're like, we're coming to the end of our time, but I know that y'all have to like edit and things like that. Can you go ahead and tell me if there's something that you want me to speak specifically to so that you can add it in or anything like that? No, you, this has been perfect. Yes, I have nothing to add. Yeah. Yes. You're amazing. <laughs> truly, truly. I'm like, wow. You've gone above and beyond. You've gotten an A plus <laughs> in podcasting. <laughs> okay, well, great. I'm, I appreciate you guys. Um, oh, wait, we're going to plug ourselves too. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Hang tight. <laughs> um, you can find me at the goddess Corey. <laughs> in the world <laughs> not even on the internet because I don't exist on the internet anymore and it's it has been the most beautiful thing uh, I have ever experienced congratulations not being on the internet for like basically a whole year um, and uh, yeah yeah um, I do have a milkshake it does bring all the boys to the yard literally because people are still hitting me up and I'm like why <laughs> Because you plug it every week, everybody's like, "Well, Might Corey well. said the milkshakes are bringing us to the yard, and I'm in this yard, so uh, where are these milkshakes?" <laughs> um, you can find that link on my Instagram at the Goddess Corey, on my Twitter at the Goddess Corey. Uh, yeah, you can find me Mistress Corey on Bet Life if you really want to know what I think about late at night. <laughs> uh, yeah, Selena. I'm Selena. You can find me on Instagram at Pretty Boy Girl. You can follow my Patreon at The Real Pretty Boy Girl. Uh, you can support the org that I am currently the president of, uh, Strippers United at Soldiers underscore of underscore poll underscore. Um, and hopefully uh, we won't all get zucked over uh and lose our platforms but uh if that happens you'll hear about it here yes not actually and i'll be right there uh, with you like yes <laughs> <laughs> all right everybody well i hope you have a spooky week oh and everybody wish selena a happy happy birthday okay happy birthday selena. Uh, thank yes. you they're so amazing and yes thank you <laughs> I'm, I'm calling myself 30 i'm 29 but i'm 30 right now so I'm yes <laughs> okay all right everybody have a great fun. week <laughs> congratulations right? on entering your 30 Thank you. (laughs) Okay, everybody. All right.